If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. We have a mission to improve the welfare of horses throughout the world through the safe education of riders, handlers and trainers and that's what these chats are all about. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Today on Horse Chats we've got our regular guest Jonna McLean back who's been giving us a really good progression through from his foal, training foal right through. We've been talking about mounting the horse but we've got just 10 tips, general tips with training your horse today. Before we start that, I'd like to thank Sophie Barrington from Archer Creative, the experts in equine business marketing. If you'd like to get a website that's appealing and easy to navigate, then talk to Sophie at Archer Creatives. You'll find her contact details on the Horse Chats website, horsechats.com. You can search for Sophie Search for Archer Creative or Sophie Barrington and you'll find her in a contact details. Jonna, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Glenn. I'm well. <laughs> are you? Yes, very well. Thank you. Thank you. Jonna, we're going to talk here and we've been talking all the way through from the young foal, the first handling, the yearlings, the starting the young horse under saddle. But this is 10 tips about training your horse. And I think this is just a good thing to remember for anyone training their horse. So I've had a look at the points, which are really good. Can we start with the first one, that just the timing of pressure and release when training? Yes, and it's a common common thing that we all tend to do, and I think it's because we do so much with our hands um, that when we're applying pressure to the horse, um, we're very good at applying pressure um, generally with our hands as people and as riders, but we're not so good at releasing it, and that's probably the most important part. Or I mean, they're both um, so related to one another is that when the horse gives you exactly the right answer at the right time, it's the release that trains it. The pressure just motivates the reaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, number two, reward every good try with the release of pressure. And then you also talked about, which is what you just said, but scratching and a rest break can reinforce the correct answer. Yeah, that's it, it is. Um, when we've, and we've all been in a situation where we struggle to try and get our horse to do something and it might be crossing a stream or loading onto a horse load or just leading, for example, and leading into a stable, for example, is that when we get the right answer, it's really important that, A, we release the pressure at the right time when he has taken the step forward, but then we also... Um, scratch the horse uh, in near the neck and the wither area, and that's something we've done all the way along. So that becomes a very a well-known thing for the horse to, to receive. And unfortunately, or fortunately, in some cases, we tend to use food as a motivator, when really what we should be doing is probably just touching and scratching the horse. After all, um, when a horse is, um, a mare is rearing its foal, you know, they tend to nuzzle and scratch each other. And then as, as um, young horses, they do that as well. They don't give each other food. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to try and keep the context really similar and very relatable to the horse. Then once he's given us the right answer, that scratching also gives him a mental and a physical break. 
So then he's much more able to deliver the right answer correctly the first time when you ask again 30 seconds later or 40 seconds later. So the amount of time you give the horse to rest is probably relevant to how many times he's repeated it correctly. The downside of the whole thing is if we repeat it too often, he may not be able to give us the answer because he's physically and mentally too tired to give us the correct answer now. It's not because he's being um, belligerent or, 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 or um, uh, in any um, other humanistic words we'd like to use that we portray onto our horses, but the fact he's just too tired to do it. So the rest break is really important, and, and I've always used this, and it's just worked so well, especially um, you know, in the younger horse's phase when he's developing, you're developing his skill sets to be able to be ridden in various places. It's not hard to wear the horses out mentally, especially when you do the number of transitions um, that we need to be able to do. And that's probably the, the most important thing that the horse needs to be able to do and get very good at mentally being fit enough mm. to be able to do the number of transitions that are required. Okay, because then point number three is you've got five to seven repetitions in a row is plenty. Is that five to seven yes. all the way through from a young foal or is that a more older, mature horse that understands training a little bit more? No, even for a foal, five to seven um, repetitions. And mm-hmm. then maybe um, can you can you lead forward a step? Yes. And then you release the pressure and say, good boy, give him a scratch, and then you lead forward a step and you do that five to seven times. You'll find that the following day they'll be right onto it. The, the, and that really just makes sure that, you know, if we only did one or two, it could be a fluke and the horse is having to give us the correct answer because his legs were in that position. But now we've changed um, we've changed that and said, okay, what we'd like to be able to do is be able to do five to seven. So you're helping train the, um, you know, the, the mental state and the physical state to be able to give you the right answer over a number that is, and fairly manageable, and five to seven always tends to work really, really well. Okay. Number four here, you've got to think carefully about how your aids are applied, but you've also talked about what location on the horse's body they affect. That's a, a, an important one again. So one of the aspects of applying an aid is that we always say, please, first, so using a light aid first, and then you will increase the pressure. It doesn't matter whether it's your leg or your rein or, or your lead rope. If you're asking with a light aid first, and then you increase the pressure, and then he steps forward, so then you release the pressure, and then you give him a scratch. So if we are with the pressure too abruptly, he'll get really quite scared, and, and chances are he won't give you the correct answer. So there's two things that are happening here. The first one is the first one, the light aid, he won't know the answer to that, but the pressure will then motivate him to react. And then when he does react and then you release it, what you're essentially doing is you're training the horse to the very first cue, even though it hasn't appeared as this yet. With repetition, you'll find you'll go light, stronger, stronger, good release, good boy, scratch. And then if you do the light aid and the stronger aid and keep them fairly close together, one after the other, and it won't be long before um, he or she starts to understand that the light pressure is then followed by heavy pressure, and if I move first, I don't get heavy pressure, and then there's a mm. light bulb moment, and that's when it becomes really important to um, to obviously reward that, and that's when yeah. the, that's when horse handling becomes really easy because everything comes from a light pressure. Mm, mm, mm. All right, now the next one, which is point number five, 
is mimicking wherever possible on the ground the same age you wish to use under the saddle. So does this start from a young horse that you're still mimicking, even though they're too young and you're not going to have them under saddle yet, you're still mimicking at that stage what they're going to get under saddle? Yes, I am am doing that under saddle because it means that I'm doing that on the ground because later on I will be under saddle Mm. and if I can keep um, everything really uniform, all the requests that I would like to make upon my horse stop, go, turn, yield, um, then I'll do that on the ground on the same site using the same um, application of light aid, stronger aid, release, scratch, good boy, rest, break and repetitions on the same site of the horse's body. Uh, what would ultimately be really like to be able to get all those manoeuvres to be done from my horse on the ground and under saddle, whether it be going through a gateway or whether it be um, just leading onto the horse. Let's say, for example, an angle load, I'll lead the horse up. And because I've taught him to do a one-step of turn on the forehand by moving his hindquarters to the offside, then I can lead him in a straight line. Then I can say, stop with my left hand. And then I can say, now yield your hindquarter over. And because it's been done on the ground so frequently, when I change the context and put him in the horse load, he'll know the answer. Yep. I can do this also when I have a turn on the forehand and saddle as well. Okay, okay. All right, and again, quite logical, as you (laughs) do throughout your training. Now, the next one is something that I think is important but may not be as well understood is to change only one thing at a time. It's not like we're introducing him to a whole lot of things, and you've done this right throughout all of your trainings, is you've just done one thing. This is the next step, one thing. Get that established, get that consolidated, then we'll move on to something else. Exactly, and this is something that, again, people aren't very good at doing. They'll train three or four things in one session, mm. and really each lesson should be consolidating over all the uh, understanding all the basics and then maybe start one new thing, and that should be the lesson, really. But anyway, we, we do all get carried away, and we've all done that in the past, <laughs> but training one thing at a time means that then if something goes wrong, we've got a really good idea of what went wrong, whereas we're training three or four things in a row, how do we know what went wrong? The answer is you can't know it. So from a scientific point of view, of course, they do this all the time. They call it one variable. And that's exactly what we're talking about, making sure that we only change one thing. And then that change of context is immeasurable because then we've got all the other bits and pieces that we've been training our horse to do. As a yardstick and say, oh, well, I've added, I've now I've added yield, but now I can't stop. And that's often the case, you know, we give our horse a reminder that they must go or they must stop. And if we're asking our horse to go and it's taken a little bit of a struggle to do that, then you tend to find that the opposite button will also have some rust on it as well. So it's never just uh, a damage on one button. There's usually damage on uh, on the opposite one as well. So that's why we only change one thing at a time. Okay, okay. All right, that's interesting that you say, you know, if the horse has got a little bit of work to do on the go button, that the stop button itself may not be as good. Yes, and that's that. And I say this all the time is the horse may present to you as if he doesn't stop, but then when you do get him to stop really, really well, and then all of a sudden, or well, in that session, you find that there's quite a lot of work to be done in the go <laughs> button. When the horse started out in the session, the horse was hyper reactive off your leg and it would just go like a bullet. And now you've taught him to stop really well and pass. And now you can't get him to go. And that's, <laughs> that's generally the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, we've got stop, turn, reverse are all done with rain signals. Yes, okay. So now what we're talking about is 
on the saddle is that if we draw a line in front of the horses, whether everything that is done for the withers, so we're talking about the right front leg, the left front leg, the neck and the head, and then if we'd like to add flexion to that or where the horse's eyes are, are all done with rain signals. So we're making sure that we ride the front with the reins and we ride the rear, uh, ride the rear of the horse or the or the uh, hindquarter uh, with our leg aids, and that way we can be absolutely sure of what works and what doesn't. But when we start to coalesce leg and rein together, then the confusion starts to set in. Yeah, well, that that was point number eight, wasn't it? To never use rein and leg at the same time. Yes. So, for example, I think the classic one here is leg yield. And people will say to me, well, how do I get my horse to leg yield? And the answer is if your horse is a little inclined to be a little bit um, too fast with his shoulder, then you probably won't need to use much um, of a rein aid to get him to go um, sideways um, mm-hmm. with the shoulder. And then straight after the shoulder, then you use your leg, but you've already released the rein. So slowly but surely, we can move those two close together in time. But not until you understand the first question, that is, can you move your shoulder? Now, can you move your hindquarter? Can you move your shoulder? Can you move your hindquarter? So it means that we're able to get a fairly clear um, measurement on as to whether the horse is able to leg yield well. And the thing about leg yield is it's with a straight body. Um, so we want to try not to make sure that the shoulders go too fast or too slow or the horse leads with the hindquarter or too slow with the hindquarter. So it becomes, you know, a, a quite a... Um, uh, you know, rubbing your tummy, patting your head sort of scenario. It's good for riders coordination learning these things. All right. Now, number nine is your horse will commonly use forward steps to escape, but if allowed to go on, they could manifest into something more determined. And we've sort of talked a little bit about horses that are running away. So if you could talk a bit more about how how they just keep going and something more determined. What is this something more determined and how do we stop that? Something more determined is all about, if, for example, you know, we've been talking about five to seven repetitions, getting your horse to learn um, and training it to do a certain task from a light cue. We've talked about that a lot. But there are some scenarios with the horse and what we call a single trial learning event, which is actually very scary for the horse. And the classic one here is the horse runs out of his horse float, out of the horse float, um, and the um, handler holds the leg right. The horse throws its head up, bangs his head on the roof runs out of the horse foot and then escapes and runs away. Mm-hmm. And the key point here is the pressure then is released straight after the horse bangs his head on the um, roof of the horse foot, runs away, um, so he's done fast legs for long distance um, and departed the scene completely. That mm-hmm. horse has now learned in one go, probably not to go on that horse foot. So horses can learn in one event. So it's a single trial learning event. That one it always involves high amounts of fear. That's what we want to avoid. We don't want to be in that position. So what we need to be able to do to combat that is make sure that when our horse is doing anything, is he travelling at the speed that I want on my line all by himself? And that examination prevents any of these happening where, you know, the horse will stay parked, for example, or if you ask him to walk, then I'm always almost daring him to go off my line or daring him to drift or daring him to speed up so that I can make sure that I'm actually training the horse in the self-carriage state of tempo and line all by himself. And I never get into that position with those horses because heaviness is the first sign. And if the reins are already heavy, then it's really hard to detect an increase in tempo um, because the reins are already heavier and it seems to escape us. However, 
if we have a really nice light season contact and the horse is travelling by itself, a safari, you can detect those little mechanisms of speeding up or drift when the horse is trying to run away, for example. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. So point number 10 is if your stop and go aren't working or don't work, nothing you add on top of that is going to work. No, precisely. So for example, if your stop doesn't work and your go doesn't work, lunging your horse won't train it to draw because it's a completely different context. So, for example, if we lunge our horses and we try to wear our horses out, and, and I think we've all um, seen, seen occasionally where this happens, then it doesn't make your horse more rideable. It just makes sure that there's less energy available. You haven't trained anything. So when we start having to wear physically wear our horse out, um, by whatever means, it means that the horse's energy systems are overriding the basic controls of stop and go. Without those two things, well, then we're not actually in control and we shouldn't be in that position. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, because that takes us right back to even a young foal. You know, you're just saying stop, go. Yep. Yep, stop, go, go, stop. Yeah, that's yep. right. Or exactly. Go, stop. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Okay, exactly. even before the back, it's just that. Yep. That's right, exactly, just before they do the stroke. Okay, I think those 10 points to remember, I think we'll just go quickly over them again and you can just say the one main thing that we need to remember from that. The first one is the timing of pressure and release will train whatever's occurring when the release occurs. That's right. If it's a pressure motivates a reaction and the release trains it so we have to be really aware of when our release occurs and we can scratch them as well as an additional reward for that. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Number two then is reward every good try by the release of pressure and scratching in a rest break will reinforce the correct answer. Yes, that's right. So we've just added the rest break just to make sure. We've done quite a few repetitions, five to seven, and it's the first time the horse has ever done five to seven repetitions of it. It will need a little bit of a break. It may need 10 minutes or you can give him half a day or a day, but it's important to recognise that we don't want him too tired to be able to react the way we'd like him to react. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that was point number three, was the five to seven repetitions in a row. It's plenty to end your session on. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. And you did talk about that's from a young foal right through. Yeah, that's right, exactly. That's a, that's a really important facet of training. Good, good. Number four is think carefully about how your aids are applied and what location of the horse's body they affect. That's right, and, and um, that's what we're talking about here, and, and we can all ask ourselves that question. When I'm doing a particular manoeuvre on a horse, whether it be canter or whether it be half bars or whether it just be stopping, what aids do we send the horse? And I ask all of this because I teach, uh, what aids did you give him to do that? And mm-hmm. if they can't quickly tell me what signals they've sent, then they're not quite sure what they're doing with their bodies. So I have to try and make them more aware of what they're doing when and how and make sure the release of pressure is occurring at the right time, etc. Okay. All right. Point number five here is mimic wherever possible on the ground those aids that you wish to use under saddle. And that's all about really trying to make sure that when we do ride them that they're available because they've already been programmed on the ground and it's going to be easy. In fact, you probably won't have to train them at all. They'll they'll just be there. It's Mm. so simple. Good. All right. Number six is change only one thing at a time. Yeah, and we're just making sure that we change one thing at a time so that we don't, if we do um, have any problems, any resistances um, in this um, new 
facet in training a new cue, for example, or training a new aid that we'd like to react, we, we can be fairly sure what has caused it. Whereas if we're changing multiple things at one time, it's really hard to diagnose. Yep. All right, number seven, stop, turn, reverse are all done with rain signals. And that's really this clarity for the young horse and making sure that everything that we do, whether we want the horse's shoulders to go sideward or we'd like them to turn right or turn left um, or we'd like them to stop, um, they're the, really the three most um, important signals for the rain and everything done with the hind quarters actually done with leg aids. All right. Now you've got here never use rain and leg at the same time, one before the other or after one another. That's right. Until the horse is completely seasoned, there will be occasions when these two go very, very close together and they'll be um, you know, almost done simultaneously, but I'll, I'll stress the word almost mm-hmm. because – for example, uh, and the example that I'd like to use, if we're driving a car, is there any times when we make music for at the same time? The answer is no. Um, and nor should we be doing that to a horse because how can the horse possibly produce an answer where the rain aid and the leg aid is produced at the same time? How could they possibly give us an answer to that? Yeah, yeah. All right, the next one is your horse will commonly use the forward steps to escape and if allowed to go on, this could manifest into something more determined. Yes, and I'll just reiterate what I was saying before about um, making sure we don't let our horse run for long periods of time because we allow them to run for long periods of time. Um, it could result in something that we're not able to address or not seek professional help to address it, and it will be a problem. So the more practice they get at running away, the more practice they get at being heavy, then the uh, better at it they get. So what we're saying here is don't let them... The, don't let your horse practice the things you don't want them to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Now, the last point here, you've got if you stop and go don't work, nothing you add on top of it will work. And I've come back to that original point, making sure that my buttons that I've produced in my stop go. And, of course, remember once we ask our horse to go, then we also will be doing a little half halt. So we might be saying, okay, now slow down. So I want you to do something else with your legs. I'd like you to slow down, for example. If the horse is not very good at stopping or going, you do a steady with the rein, so you might get too much of a steady or you get no reaction at all. It means that we can't grade and we can't start to split the hairs between stop and go for tempo changes, for length changes, etc. until we have those two really solid. So what I'm really saying is if you've got these two embedded and they're like concrete then and you can do those everywhere, then you can be very confident you can start to add things on the foot because these are the foundations of safety between the rider's safety and the horse's welfare, these mm-hmm. two buttons alone. Okay. Good, good. All right, now that brings me back. I remember your first interview, we talked about having the horse to have good buttons in all directions and I think, you know, right throughout you've gone back to this. Yeah. Yes, it's funny how it all, it all goes around in a big circle. Mm. And the thing that I want to um, impress here is, I mean, for, for me in training horses, it's a, it's a real craft. It's a bit like, I mean, I'm not an artist, but if I was an artist or a sculptor, <laughs> and what we're doing is taking a, a, a raw block of, of something and we're slowly but surely being very accurate with all the things that we do, and then finally we get to polish it and stand back and look at it and say, this is what I've created, and, and horse training should be like that, and it should be something you know really memorable. And horses don't even live that long; they live for you know maybe twenty five years. So we don't we don't have them around us for very long, mm. um, and we put a lot of time into them. So they should all be really really special. Yeah, yeah. 
Jonna, how can people contact you if they'd like to find out a little bit more, talk to you about a workshop that you might be doing or even just ask about their own horse? How can they contact you? What's the best way? The best way to do it through my clinic organiser on my website and you've probably got my website address on your site, so it's um, Train to Win, um, my Train to Win website. Yep. And the best way to do that is if you're in whatever state and contact the relevant organiser or just send me an email and I'll put you in touch with somebody and we can always organise something. All right. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm quite readily available to, <laughs> to um, do things um, if time permits. Okay. And all those details will be on horsechats.com. If you go there and just search for Jonna, Jonathan, McLean, any of those words, even train to win probably, you'll find Jonna's contact details. You'll also find many of his episodes going right through and um, just good listening to go back, particularly if you're breeding horses or got young horses or even with the more advanced horses, just to go back and get some of those, just the techniques that he's using. And now I keep going back to the safe horse friendly training techniques. And I think everyone can benefit from that. So thanks, John, for coming again today. And we hope to catch up with you sometime soon with further training, further information about how to train our horses to be the best they can be. Thank you. I look forward to it very much. Thanks, Glenis. It's been a pleasure. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 